Okay, the Spirit has been with us this morning. I hope you've been able to sense that as we've worshipped and spent time in God's presence. To you our hearts are open, we've just sang. Let our hearts be open to the work of his Spirit this morning. So we're going to turn to Scripture now. And we've been spending time in Romans chapter 12 in recent weeks and we've been learning how we are to live in the light of all that God has done for us. We've been learning what it looks like to live as a community of Christ and we've been learning what it looks like to have transformed hearts, transformed minds. If you've missed any in this series please catch up on our website there is much that god has to say and to bless us with in this chapter of romans so today i'm going to read from the start of the chapter again and as i read through this i hope that it will be triggering in your mind some recollections of the various things that we have noticed and learned as we've studied the different verses and chapter uh, verses and and thoughts and ideas as we've gone through this chapter and today I'm going to read up to verse 10. So Romans chapter 12, it will be on the screen for you, please follow along if you have a Bible there. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let's pray that God's word will speak. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We want more of you in us. And we've come to seek you this morning. Here in your word, there is life for us. So will you come and speak to us with more than words? Speak to our hearts so that we might be changed by you. We come expectant of your voice and your work in us this morning. Amen. So let's pick this up at verse 9 this morning. Love must be sincere. Insincere love is not going to do when it comes to living in God's presence and living in his kingdom and doing his will. And so first of all this morning, we need to understand what Paul is meaning by sincere love. Well, the Greek word for sincere that he uses here is anipokritos. It literally means without hypocrisy. The root word is hypocrite, from which we get our word hypocrisy. And this word, it was used for a stage actor who would put on a mask and play someone else. They were hypocrite. They were not really themselves. And we use this word to describe someone who says one thing or appears to be one thing, but at other times they speak and act and think differently. It's putting on a mask. So it's only the outside surface of you that is changed. The real you, the deeper bits inside, are not true to what the mask is showing. So like an actor on the stage, this Greek hypocrisy. But we use this word in the context of when we are putting on a front that is not truly who we are. We are hypocrisy. And the love that Paul is describing here, he's saying cannot be hypocritical. It must be the real thing, no pretending. It can't have a hidden agenda, this love. It can't be self-serving. It can't be about us. No mask, no pretense, no false impression where what's on the outside doesn't truly portray what's on the inside. It has to be genuine, sincere love. And Paul describes this love for us so clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we so often hear at weddings. But this is so much more. This is not just the love that is called for within marriage. This kind of love is called for in all our relationships, in how we relate to family, 
in how we relate to friends, in how we relate to enemies, in how we relate to people we know well and how we relate to people that we don't know at all. This word on love is much bigger than just a word on marriage. Let me read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know what? Maybe I could just stop there. That feels like enough. Those are big things, but we can acknowledge that they are reasonable and right if we're claiming to love, that we are patient in love and that we are kind. But unfortunately for us, it doesn't end there. And now is where it gets really challenging. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Well, that's a pretty tall order. Can you love like that? Can I love like that? No, I can't. Not on my own. Not under my own steam with my own resources. Because there are always relationships and people with whom we find this really difficult. People who maybe cause us to get angry by their actions or their words or maybe they've hurt us. They're an enemy, as scripture would call it. Anyone who falls into those categories would come under the heading of enemy when scripture is speaking. The people we find really difficult for whatever reason. How can we love them? How can we love like that? It's not humanly possible, but it's okay that it's not humanly possible because the source of this kind of love doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from the human nature that we have. It comes from God. It doesn't come from within. No matter how hard we work at it, it's not generated by us and it's not natural to us. The Bible has a special word for this kind of love. And Paul chooses this word agape. Agape, the Greek word that he's using here. Agape is an undeserved, unselfish, costly, giving love. And its source is God alone. We can try to do it ourselves. We can try to generate this love. But even if our actions are kind and we are really patient, we're really just acting out those things that we think we're supposed to do. And we're doing it hypocrisy. We're doing it with a mask on because our heart isn't there. 
The Bible says that God is love. It's his nature. And God is agapeing when God acts. He acts out of his nature always. He always acts out of love. He can't do anything else because he is agape. 1 John describes it near the end of the New Testament uh, in a letter. 1 John chapter 4 says this, Dear friends, let us agape love one another. For agape love comes from God. Everyone who agape loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape love does not know God because God is agape love. And this is how God showed his agape love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape love, not that we loved God, but that he agape loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so agape loved us, we also ought to agape love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we agape love one another, God lives in us. And his agape love is made complete in us. This is remarkable. This is powerful. If we agape love each other, then God lives in us and his agape love is made complete in us. The only source of this agape love is God. The only way that we can agape love God or agape love each other or anyone is if God lives in us. There is no other way to truly love. There is no other way that we can love against reason, that we can love against our human nature. It has to be God's love in us, transforming us, coming through us to those around us. How else could I love my enemy? How else could I love someone who has hurt me, who doesn't like me? or hates me. How can I love someone like that? How can I love someone who is my enemy or who hurts me? That is a huge challenge. God's love is needed to change my heart. I need this agape love. My heart needs changing. God's love is needed in me to break down my desire and my instinct to make everything about me. And instead, to make everything about God. I need this agape love to transform and to change me. The only way that you can agape love God 
and agape love others is with God living in you. Because then it's not your love, it is agape love that flows from God in you. And so all of this comes back to verse 1. This whole chapter always comes back to verse 1 in every aspect that we have looked at so far. To fully know and experience God's agape love, you need to offer your body, your whole life, the whole of you, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. It starts there. It's not possible without that. None of what's in this chapter is possible without that. It starts with you saying to God, I yield my life to you. I'm not holding any parts back. I give you everything. Here's my will. God, I will exchange it for your will. I put myself on the altar as a living sacrifice. And it won't be about me anymore. If I'm going to do what you're calling me to do, God, myself has to die. And I have to pick up your life. It always comes back to this, to that first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Our love must be sincere. What is the one thing that God desires of you? Jesus said, it's that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So what God desires most of you is that you love him with everything that you are. And if you've thought that what God desires most of you is that you keep his commandments, that you be good, that you don't think bad thoughts, that you do good deeds, that's not what God desires most of you. He desires most of you that you love him, that you give him all of yourself, and that you receive his agape love until it overflows out of your life and pours out into everything that you do. Jesus gave us permission to call him Father, to use this very intimate language and to call him Father. And God is not like any earthly father. It is Father's Day today when we think about fathers, but we're not talking about an earthly father here. No earthly father is the source of agape love. And no earthly father can be that agape love. 
The source is God. And you can call him Father. And your love relationship with the Father is the single most important thing about your life today. The single most important thing about your life right now is your love relationship with the Father. Whatever else has been filling up your thoughts, whatever challenges you're facing, maybe you're facing illness or having treatment, maybe you're living with fear or worry or anxiety, they are giants and they loom large for us and they block out all the light. Maybe you're facing something like that and it might seem like that is the most important thing in your life or the biggest thing in your life right now because it's taking up all the space. But it's not. Your love relationship with the Father is the single most important thing about your life right now. And it is the love of the Father that you so desperately need. If you're struggling with that, then can I ask you to reflect on whether there's a part of you that you haven't surrendered yet, that is being held on to instead of becoming a living sacrifice. Let the Father's love flow into your heart. Love must be sincere. I think those words could act as a heading really for this whole section of this chapter from verse 3 onwards. I was quite torn last time about whether to actually include those words in verse 9, love must be sincere, whether to include those onto the end of what we looked at last time. Because last time we were looking at being part of the body and serving, doing the thing that you can do. Because there's this sense that if we're not doing those things out of love, if our serving is not fueled by love, by agape love, then we might as well not do them. The service that we give will be empty service if it's not fueled by sincere and genuine and costly love for God, for one another, and for those outside our church. If it's a duty, if you're doing it because you know you ought to, and because you know it is a good thing to do, it will be hollow. Agape love must be in the driving seat in all these things. So far in Romans, before chapter 12, all the references to agape love have been talking about God's love. But here in chapter 12, Paul is now saying that it's our agape love. That must be the foundation of our life in God 
and our discipleship with him and together. And from here, Romans chapter 12 through to chapter 15, the whole of that is an appeal and an exhortation for agape love, to commit ourselves to agape love, governing all our relationships and shaping them. Self-giving, sacrificial, costly love. And it will be costly. Let's make no mistake about that. There will be a cost to you. And we're not called to think about the other person's part in this. We're only called to think about our part in it. I wonder if you can think about where this might be costly for you. But also, what God might want to do in you and give to you and grow in you. So let's move on a little bit further. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now we need to unpack that thought to understand it. Remember when we looked at verse 2. There it is. When we looked at verse 2, we saw that it is when our minds have been renewed, when God has transformed the way we think because there's been a true laying down of self, that's when we will be able to test and discern what is good in God's eyes. Let's not imagine that we can have the spiritual sight to discern God's will when we are not truly and fully surrendered to him, when we are still operating out of our own agenda. And much as we might like to think that the distinctions between good and evil are always going to be clear and obvious, we have to recognize that it's never as simple as that. The enemy will never make it simple. This is a call for us to think together and to work together with humility and to listen to each other as we seek to discern the complicated ways that good and evil are interwoven and entangled and at work among us. We don't have the wisdom in ourselves to do that. We need God's wisdom, God's insight, and we can only get that by truly engaging with what we've looked at in verses 1 and 2. And we need each other. Remember that I said it's a plural you in verse 2. We are called together to seek and discern God's voice and God's guiding. And it is those who have truly offered their lives as a living sacrifice 
who will receive the gift of doing that. And the examples that Paul is giving of what is good, well, they are examples about our life together. Verses 10 to 13 of our chapter are examples of what it looks like to agape love and to cling to the good. We're only going as far as verse 10 today. Be devoted to one another in love. And now, in this verse, now the word for love is filio, which is the word for family love, of those who are joined together and living in community in a way that is committed to each other. Every member belongs to all the others, remember? So there's a redefining of boundaries going on here. This would be a new thing in their society that there could be a family level sense of identity and belongingness that actually transcends and goes beyond biological, traditional family ties that can even bypass ethnic and cultural differences. How can that be possible? Honour one another above yourselves. This word honour, that relates to respect. And respect is the care and consideration shown to someone or something that is deemed to be important. So this is making space for the needs of that person or that thing because that person or thing is understood to have value. So there can be no moments in our life together, no times in our life together when we do not treat each other with respect when we do not speak of each other respectfully, think of each other respectfully, and behave respectfully. Because if we don't, we are acting as though that person has no value in the eyes of God. And that can never be true, because every person has value in the eyes of God. And hey, listen to this, they even have equal value in God's eyes to you. We are to honour and respect each other always, even when we don't agree. So be very careful in what you say when you want to have a moan and you think God's not listening. This verse is sometimes translated, outdo one another in showing honour. That's the NRSV. Now there's a challenge. So this call is not just to bump along the bottom, showing just enough respect and honour to fulfil a requirement. No, no. 
This is not a begrudging thing. There is an eagerness about this, an active striving to show as much respect and honour as we possibly can. And to do that with eagerness and with joy, because we've understood that this is God's way. This is what pleases God. And it's coming from our agape love, our self-giving, sacrificial love. Love for other people doesn't come in some kind of second place to our love for God. Because actually they are so intertwined, it matters so much to God that they, at some level they are Practically, they are one and the same thing. This is a thought from Teresa of Avila. There are only two duties that the Lord requires of us. The love of God and the love of our neighbor. And in my opinion, the surest sign for discovering our love of God is discovering our love of our neighbor. Be assured that the further you advance in the love of your neighbor, the further you are advancing in your love of God. So let's draw all of this together. Our life together, our life in all respects needs to be governed by agape love. And the only source for that kind of love is God. And it can only be discovered when we have done and are continuing to do the thing that this chapter starts with. The laying down of self, the whole of self, as a living sacrifice to God. And this agape love needs to fuel everything we do, our serving and our relationships with one another. You know, Genuine love, this kind of love is not just being nice. It is moving towards another person with God's goodness. And when we show love towards someone, this kind of love, we are moving them towards God's goodness. To agape love someone is not just to be nice to them. It is to act towards them in a way that gives up something of me in order to help them experience more of God's goodness and love. So let's do our application here. Where does this need to apply? in your life? Where can the work of God be released in you through you making this costly choice? What might agape love look like if you're doing it? Let's seek God now. Let's pray together.